Hello and welcome to the Native and the Transplant. I'm your native, Alex Johnson. And I'm your transplant, Jen Bryant. Jen, how are you this week? Oh, I'm really happy that it's Friday. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. Due to some technical difficulties and that sort of stuff, we are recording a little bit later than we'd like to, but um, we are here, as always, every week uh, to bring you the news of Northern Colorado. So before we get started, definitely want to reach or <laughs> let you know about our sponsor for this episode. Our sponsor is Satori Tattoo down on 4th Street in Loveland. So Satori Tattoo, if you are if you have the urge and you want that new tattoo or that new piercing, definitely reach out to Chris and Kim. They do a wonderful job down there. They are located at 116 East 4th Street in Loveland, downtown Loveland. And the best way to reach out to them is either via Facebook Messenger or on their phone, which is 970-278-5880. Yeah, they do a fantastic job down there, and they're just amazing humans anyway, so... Absolutely. So we greatly appreciate Satori Tattoo um, for their sponsorship. Yeah. All right. Well, speaking of Northern Colorado, there's a lot going on. Yes, very much so. So Loveland PD, I think Uh, they just, I think they love being in the news. That's got to be what it is, right? It Uh, has to be. Yeah. I mean, all press is good press. Is that I don't believe all press is good press. Um, Unfortunately, there was another officer involved shooting. A grandmother called the Loveland Police Department to come out and assist as her 19-year-old grandson, who is mentally disabled, was wielding a knife. Perfect reason to call the cops. The way the cops responded, and again, this is all what we know as of this moment, is they showed up, and after a few words and and the sort... um, ended up shooting him three times in the abdomen. So he is in critical care still, looking like he will make a recovery. Um, but it, again, does not look good on Loveland PD, especially this close to everything that's gone on with the Karen Gardner case. Yeah, one of the things that is concerning about that, of course, we'll have to see what happens with the dash or with the footage. Um, but, you know, if you're, if you're going to take somebody down in a safe manner, abdominal shots are not the way to go. I'm just throwing it out there. And I don't know what happened. I, I know we'll know more in the next, I think it's what, they have 21 days and it's been four days or something. Um, it's my understanding that his grandmother called because he was being very destructive and that and she told him on the call that he could be de-escalated. She just needed somebody to help de-escalate him. Yeah. Well, one of those um, social workers was not called out there because they, apparently they're not on 24 hours a day. So that is concerning, and she basically said, I just need some help de-escalating him. He's not violent. Please don't hurt him. All of those things. And there may have been a rush of the officer. We don't know, but come on. Yeah. At what point At what point is it that we now need to say something drastic needs to happen? Yeah, and it's not looking good on Chief Tyser. You know, I've met Tyser a couple of times, and the frustration that I had with him that I've shared on this podcast is the fact of not that the Karen Gardner case occurred. It was the fact that it was nine months, and it was a federal lawsuit that brought it to light. If you're the chief of police, the buck stops with you. Yep. You start the investigation. You find out what happened. You communicate with with the citizens of your city. 
and have a better understanding of what is going on and how you deal with that instead of just trying to brush it under the rug until there's a lawsuit involved. And then at that point in time, you're like, oh, no, this is this, this is that. No, at that point in time, it's too late. Well, and I think, you know, he was, it's come out now that he was aware of it the day that it occurred. Correct. So at that point, let's start an investigation. Let's figure out what's going on. And there may have not been a lawsuit if it had been addressed directly, maybe a settlement. But at this point, as taxpayers, we're going to pay millions of dollars to this woman's family. And boy, doesn't that feel good? So that is one thing that they have corrected is as soon as this uh, shooting did take place, the Lamar County Sheriff's Department has come on board to investigate it. And so that at least with with everything, they, they've at least learned something from right. the Karen Gardner case. Yeah, and it is required, of course, that an outside agency come in and do that you know, investigation because you can't have colleagues investigating each other. That's problematic, of course. I don't know. This whole thing, you know, I've said it before, and I feel like Tyser needs to consider stepping down. And all of these things that they said they had in place with Karen Garner um, didn't take, didn't, didn't happen in this the case of this 19 year old young man. Yep. And it's really too bad because that's why you call the police, you call them for help. And if you know that they're just going to show up and shoot you or your family member you're worried about, you're not calling them. Yeah, and the other aspect of this is. City Council. City Council has the ability to remove and replace um, the chief of police. So especially at that point in time, the city council, because they they have made national news yet again. Oh, yeah. (laughs) We just should be so proud of them. (laughs) They made national news yet again. So Mayor uh, Jackie Marsh, mayor of Loveland, uh, um, had her attorney, Crinning, uh, what's his first name? Troy. Troy Crinning, who used to sit on council, uh, serve lawsuit papers to Councilman Fogel as well as to Sean Adams for uh, slander and for trying to think. Yeah, that defamation of character. Defamation of character, and there was one other thing. Um, trespassing. For, trespassing for Fogel, correct. Yeah. And uh, all of this is stemming from the story that has now come out from the last couple of weeks in council that when Mayor Marsh was working on her home, she didn't pull proper permits, that there were complaints from subcontractors, and that she was throwing around that she's mayor and she can do what she wants. So as you dive further and further into that story, it looks like she may not have known she was her own GP and didn't know that she was supposed to pull the permits versus um, any of her subcontractors pulling the permits. I don't know the full details on that side of it, and that can still be up in the air a little bit, but it is an interesting aspect, the fact that she had her attorney actually serve (laughs) Councilman Fogel and Sean Adams during a city council meeting. Correct. So we just have an even bigger circus. And I don't even really know that we could speak to this stuff at at the mayor's house because we don't know any of the details. I don't even really know that there's anything there to, you know what I'm saying? So it it felt like they were a dog after a bone, what was going on with that. So I don't know. And of course, with a lot of it, it seems like it's an integrity issue from the standpoint of the mayor. But we don't know that. Correct. You know, that is true. There was some accusations thrown around that it was occurring so that they could discourage her from running for a third term. That's what I've heard as well. And I'm not sure if that (laughs) actually deterred her or if that actually lit a fire under her. Only time will tell. But if I was somebody looking to run against Don Overcash, 
for the mayor of Loveland, I think now's the time to hop into the race. And so it'll be interesting to see what comes of this. All anybody would have to do is tell the citizens of Loveland and prove to them that they're going to be above this kind of infighting. And I feel like the city would be like, (laughs) step right up, let's go. Because people are getting really, really tired of the city council doing this. It's getting old. It, It just, you know, it's the popcorn show. Did you bring your popcorn to watch the city council meeting? <laughs> I've watched a lot of and attended a lot of city council meetings for different areas that I've lived in. <laughs> I've never been to a city council meeting that is as quite as entertaining as Loveland's. Yeah. Although the one thing that I will say about it, the reason why it is so entertaining is because it is very, very well split right down the middle. You have four it's conservatives, true. four uh, liberals, and they don't compromise quite a bit and so you see an awful lot of you'll have one person compromise here you see an awful lot of five three you know five four that sort of stuff depending on how the mayor votes or and if anybody recuse themselves but you look at how loveland is dealing with that as frustrating or as entertaining as as it is that's the way most city council should be agreed there's it's supposed to be a nonpartisan position I don't know of the last city council that's been nonpartisan. Um, right. <laughs> it's one of those that it seems, whether you're in Fort Collins, Loveland, Windsor, you name it, it's it's partisan. Well, we've had that discussion before, especially with the state, you know, the House and all of that, um, as far as it being heavily leaning Democrat right now and how it, it doesn't benefit anybody for either side to be heavy on one side or the other because then you get these things passed through that may not come through if it was really a genuine split because everybody has to make that decision not necessarily on party lines but it's kind of that checks and balances and so i mean to some extent (laughs) i guess i'll just sit back and enjoy the show (laughs) (laughs) so and then in other news thompson school district uh made waves oh big waves made waves this week uh with mandating that all students and staff pre-k through eighth grade um are going are required to wear masks starting on monday correct so and that has that has angered an awful lot of people it has um i'm not sure where i stand on that quite yet just because of course you know i'm a proponent of the vaccine and i feel like masks have helped some things um i'm not real thrilled about the impact on our kids especially the younger kids you know you have nonverbal kids that are not doing well because of it. I mean, of course, those children also suffered when they were online and couldn't utilize the tools that had been given to them because it's just not their level of knowledge. When we, when we moved back to Colorado, my son was at a private school that didn't have a lot of technology available. It's more in the deep South. And he came back and had to be assisted because he genuinely did not know how to do the testing and all of those things on the computer. So it looked like he was well below his grade level and he was not. So when they sat down and figured it out, it was like, oh, okay, well, we just have to figure this out. But, you know, you've got kids that that's not the problem. The problem is, is that they're not able to meet those demands. So, but then the other thing, the other side to that is, is that we are with this Delta variant, we are seeing an increase in children who are being infected. And I don't, I don't know numbers here for Colorado. I know that some numbers were coming out of hotspots right now and they're seeing a significant increase in hospitalizations of children. So that is concerning. Yeah. I see the point. Thompson, it was interesting how they did that because every other school district around us did that. And then 
it was that huge protest at the school board meeting that they went ahead and voted to do the masks. So. Well, and it was unanimous as well. So that's, that is frustrating an awful lot of people. Um, it's not just this particular vote because the this has been an ongoing thing through the last couple of meetings, mm-hmm. and there hasn't been the communication from the school board, which has uh, made it even more frustrating for an awful lot of parents as far as how are we dealing with this, what are we going to do, and then you start <laughs> – this is the part that makes a lot of people cringe and have a lack of willingness to understand – is the fact that they started school, no masks. A day and a half, two days after school has started, they vote unanimously to make everybody wear a mask. But then we're going to have you go to school for two more days before we require you to put on a mask. If it is that important that they wear a mask, why didn't it just get a blast email out right as it happened to tell all parents, all students, all staff, hey, starting tomorrow, this is what just came down. Everybody wear a mask. Well, it, I'm going to remind you of during the middle of the pandemic last year that we found out about the schools being closed and that we're going to go totally online, essentially on rumor. Yeah. Because people started kind of leaking that to their families. Hey, get ready because we know something's coming down the line. And, and then we got some formal announcement, what, the night before they weren't going back to school? Yeah. I mean, what was that about? We need to have more communication. <laughs> so there are four uh, four board positions up for election in November. So if this has pissed you off, if this has frustrated you with the Thompson School District, take a run at one of those seats. If you are frustrated with the lack of communication, the lack of, uh, of leadership that we've had within Thompson School District, run for one of those seats. And that's even the uh, Lori, who was the one that sent an email to um, the county commissioner. Yeah, Lori's his veto, his veto ward. Yes, yeah, so she's the head of the school of the school board at the moment. She sent an email over to one of the um, county commissioners, trying to get the county commissioners to put this in, and enact the mask mandate, so that way she didn't have to. But she even said in a prior um, board meeting just a few weeks ago to people that were trying to talk and trying to have public comment, and she shut them down and said, if you don't like what I'm doing, then I'm up for election in November. Run for my seat. I, I do remember you, reading that. I encourage yeah. you to do that. Hey, you know, at least she's being bold, but. <laughs> Not in the way that I, I think uh, yeah. anybody in that position should be. I, I would concur with that. So Yeah, I would concur with that. Uh, you know, I, I think it's not something anybody's – nobody's going to win in this situation. It's not it, – this is just like that people are so tired of this right now, and we're tired of the mandates. We're tired of all of that, and, and I can say that. I, I did start wearing my mask again at grocery stores, though, just because – I don't know. It just felt like people are being really, really loosey-goosey with this, and we've got this variant – barreling through but how many variants are there going to be i don't know this is this is one of the things that i always come back to and i know that you and i disagree on this but it also makes for good radio because of the fact that we do disagree on this yeah how many variants are they going to be i don't know (laughs) nobody knows and at this point in time when you have you look at the actual statistics actual hard numbers everyone says look at the science fantastic let's look at the science let's look at the actual numbers of the increase of deaths 
versus, okay, we saw an increase of deaths as far as COVID was concerned, but almost zero deaths uh, pertaining to the flu or the cold. It's because people didn't go out anywhere and they were washing their hands. Throwing that out there. But it ends up being, uh, yes, it does end up being a little bit higher as far as COVID, but we decreased our death rates in automobile accidents. (laughs) It's because nobody was driving anywhere. Exactly. In flu, in cold, and yet we've increased them in suicide and COVID. Right. And that, it's really crappy because it's affecting our vulnerable in that manner. So maybe they didn't die from COVID, but they died from COVID. Exactly. And so that's the other part with all of this is one, we want to look at saving our kids. Okay. The highest rate as far as age groups are concerned with suicide rates over the last 18 months has been those from the age of 12 to 18. Yep. Our kids are killing themselves yep. because of what adults and what supposed leaders are trying to do. And you have this, okay, let's muzzle everybody again. Let's put on the mask again for everybody in these schools. And we aren't going to listen to the parents. We aren't going to listen to the doctors. We aren't going to listen to anybody who has any opposing viewpoint. And we're going to shut them out. We're going to shut them down. And we're going to ban them and censor them. This is the frustration that I have. Oh, I know. Is if if all of this is 100% factually true, and I talk with you an awful lot, and you are giving me numbers, you're giving me actual statistics of what you're seeing on the ground. And so I believe what you are telling me because this is what you're seeing on a daily basis. Yeah. This isn't coming from the CDC, which the CDC has still yet, still, we are over halfway through 2021 and they've still yet to report the suicide rates and the suicide numbers for 2020. Well, of course not because they have to separate, you know, they're, they're going to have to separate out. Well, was it because of COVID or was it because of depression or, Substance abuse, Subs- everything. Yeah, all of those things. And so they're they're going to be, I would say, pretty guarded about reporting that. I'm not always thrilled with that. You know how I feel about the World Health Organization. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah, and the I. The fact I, that it's ran by somebody who is not a doctor. Yeah, that part. Weird. Yeah. Well, and I think it's important people just talk to their doctors about all yeah. of this. I know our, our immunocompromised kids, especially like with asthma and cystic fibrosis, all of those things are being told do not expose your children to anybody that's not vaccinated because at this point the Delta variant is going, it will kill them. So it's, I mean, that's scary. And I don't know, I don't know what the solution is. Honestly, I really, I don't know. You start to kind of, it's just, (laughs) it's overwhelming. It it is. And I, I, what I would say is, is for anybody out there that's struggling, just be very aware that a lot of people have used up their self care and their um, coping mechanisms Find another coping mechanism. Yeah. I, that just, I, I know that sounds so brash and straightforward, but it is supposed to be. Yeah. Find another coping mechanism. We're going to get through this. I don't know when. And I'm tired. But eventually it will be gone. Yeah. And that's, <clears throat> I talked with quite a few parents that were actually at the meeting. And that was the biggest frustration that they had is there wasn't an answer for, okay, if we do this, then what's next? Right. If we do this, then what's next? It started out as two weeks to flatten the curve, and we've been doing all of this for 18 months mm-hmm. now. People have lost, lost their livelihoods. They've lost their businesses. They've mm-hmm. lost family members, not just to COVID, but to suicide. They've lost, they've lost their will yeah. to be empathetic towards their common man. Yeah, it's called com- compassion fatigue. 
and and nurses, doctors, veterinarians. Actually, I don't know if you know that or not. That veterinarians have the highest rate of suicide of any other profession on the planet. Wow, I had no idea on that one. Yeah, I think it's because, um, you know, they see families at in total trauma pretty often. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, but they, it's the highest rate of suicide, and it's because of that compassion fatigue. You get so tired of having to constantly give somebody that empathy and, and not even sympathy, but more the empathy of I genuinely know what's happening, and I'm here to help you, and I have to be on all the time. Yeah, We're seeing that a lot with our physicians and our nurses right now. And that's where, have, that's where the lack of communication, yeah, <clears throat> just feeds into all. It of exacerbates this. the problem. Correct. And mm-hmm. the fact that you have parents that are questioning an awful lot, and even looking at some of the parents, they immediately pulled their kids when yeah. the mask mandate came back in. They pulled their kids, or either sending their kids to private school, charter schools, or homeschooling. Yeah. I can kind of understand that, though, because the Ed, you went through this. I think anybody with kids went through this. It, it was so hard, to, number one, to be able to provide what they needed at home. So if I'm going to – if that's what's going to happen and we figure we're barreling towards everybody going back online, then maybe just, you know, pull the trigger and be done with it. Okay, no. they're going to be home, and we're going to figure out a solution that I don't have to switch gears because that was one of the things that I know my family did and I know a lot of other families struggled with was – oh, great, well, this week it's this, and next week it's this, but we won't know until the last minute, so then I have to scramble to find a solution, but then we're all in on lockdown, so what solution do you have? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, there was no I, – I, I was, you know, fortunate, unfortunate. My husband wasn't working, so we were fortunate that he was there to be able to do that, and I was working full-time, so that was not even in my wheelhouse of ability to do. No. But I would imagine that's why, partially anyway. It's that, and it, it all boils down. It all boils down to leadership. Yeah, and it does. the lack of leadership that we have seen for months now. Yeah, and one of the things, and we have a, a special guest with us today. Uh, might as well just go ahead and dive right into it because no, let's, get to, let's get to it. Yeah. Um, so we have with us today retired Sergeant First Class uh, Ryan Armagost. Welcome, Ryan. How Thank are you? Good. How are you doing? Doing well. Doing well. Anything you want to chime in on there from the last 20 minutes of us? <laughs> <laughs> he was like, nope, not not even a bit. <laughs> no. Yeah, so Ryan, so I, I know that you retired Army, but you are, were also, you started out your career in the, uh, in the Marines, correct? Yes. Okay. So one of the things that we always ask to any guest that we have on is, are you a native or are you a transplant? I am a native. You're a native, so native from Northern Colorado. Wow, how many natives have we actually had on? I'm I guess that de- depends on your definition <laughs> of the word native. <laughs> yeah, so where'd you grow up? LaSalle, actually. LaSalle. Okay, don't they have some pretty good good Mexican restaurants there? They do. I heard there's a really good one. Yeah, yeah. Go up there. Farmers Inn was the the big place back growing up, um, but yeah, they've got Armadillo. They've they've had a lot of Mexican restaurants there over the years. So. Armadillo was so good. Mm-hmm. Your Alex's wife and I. You're went talking to go. about the one up in Fort Collins. Yeah, the one in Fort Collins. Years ago. <laughs> yeah, we went up there to go eat one day. We're like, "Yep, get in the burrito. Let's go." Gone. Yeah. Just found crying. <laughs> I might have cried a little bit. Yeah. It happens. Well, part of the reason why we wanted wanted Ryan on is with everything that we're seeing in the news right now. 
I understand that we try to be as local as we can. And in this effect, it is with what we're seeing on the news with the pullout of Afghanistan is how it's affecting our local vets, how it's affecting our local families, our local Gold Star families. There's a lot of people that don't realize that we have Gold Star families here in northern Colorado. Explain what a Gold Star family is. A uh, Gold Star family is means that your son or daughter paid the ultimate price, that they they gave their life in combat. They gave their life for this nation. And so we have Gold Star families. We have an awful lot of veterans within northern Colorado that are seeing everything that is transpiring on the news right now. And I know, Ryan, with talking with you off the air, this is the second time that you've seen this. You didn't serve in Afghanistan, but you saw this in Iraq. You did two tours in Iraq. Mm -hmm. And so I just want, I I guess I want to start off the interview with just having you go through what you saw when we pulled out of Iraq and then similarities or what's different with us pulling out of Afghanistan right now. Well, I think the way that we pulled out of Iraq, we handed it over to the government. And, I mean, we did deal with issues with ISIS during the the initial drawdown in Iraq, um, which we had increased numbers for. We didn't just hand it over to a country that was already kind of inundated with ISIS. Um, and my times there, it was 2003 and 2008. We, we dealt with a lot of different factions of what you would consider the, the enemy or the threat at the time. Uh, I wasn't there while ISIS was a threat. Um, but there were all different levels of insurgencies and otherwise uh, threats toward the, the coalition or the U.S. And that wasn't prevalent as much when we did the, the, the drawdown and, and pull out of Iraq. Whereas Afghanistan, um, we've countered and made deals and otherwise been in communication with the Taliban throughout our conflict there. Um, Granted, the initial, what, the first decade of it was heavy, heavy fighting with the Taliban, uh, and it's kind of ebb and flow with that. Um, There have been heavier times of of conflicts and and firefights and everything else with the Taliban, and then there have been times where there's been some sort of a peace agreement where there's nothing going on. But uh, during a time when they know if they are patient, there's going to be a drawdown, they can wait and, and maybe regain power of Afghanistan. But the way that this was done was just basically, all right, we're done. And everyone's out, and it's pretty much just kind of handing everything over to the Taliban. Um, I think the there was just a, some level of assumption, and, you know, the Afghanistan National Army was going to be able to help out and basically retain and otherwise um, – keep control of the country yeah. uh, that doesn't that historically hasn't happened in uh, Iraq or Afghanistan the military in both countries uh, has been dependent on the US there to train them and to be side by side with them in fighting the threat they they just culturally and otherwise I mean just ideologically they don't feel comfortable fighting without the the US there with them side by side and that's where I, I think anyone logically could have predicted that was going to happen again with Afghanistan, that if we just pull everyone out, we have no more special forces interacting in a, a side-by-side doing missions with the Afghan National Army. We're going to see them 
you know, defect, take off the uniform, and go do what they need to do to be safe and provide for their families. So that's uh, their number one concern, and it wasn't necessarily we got this, you know, we can do this. It was what do we do now? It kind of seems like just with how you described it as far as if you're a little kid and you're being bullied. Yeah. And all of a sudden you have your big brother that's standing behind you. Mm -hmm. You're going to be far more aggressive and you're going to push back against those bullies. Right. Versus when big brother's not standing there. Yeah. And if you're going on three on one, then at that point in time, you're going to retreat. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd never been to Afghanistan. Uh, and I, so, I mean, I can't speak personally to that, but I know with our experience in Iraq, we would go to, uh, basically village meetings and the the village elders would gather and they would talk to us about whatever was going on in their communities, their village. And they would point out when somebody didn't belong, there's this house over here that, uh, we don't know what's going on there. They're not, they're not locals. Uh, we would find that stuff out, but, uh, in the communications with them, there was the, the side, the side chats, you know, that we would have. Um, and some of them spoke good English. Otherwise we had interpreters with us and they would tell us, you know, what are you going to, this was before Saddam was killed. What are you going to do without Saddam? This country can't survive without a leader like that. We're just like, what are you talking about? You've got democracy now, you know, you, uh, you've got a, a president that'll be in place and, um, everything will be okay. You know, you got everyone voting and dipping their fingers in the ink and everything like that. We thought it would be that, but this guy, and he was an older, I would say sixties. He'd seen a lot. And he just said, this country can't survive without a leader like that. There needs to be a a strong leader that is willing to punish people for, uh, going against the grain basically. Um, because you get those with all the different tribes and tribal leadership, you get those little areas that defect and want to do their own thing and will fight for it. And then in Iraq, it was all tribal. So, I mean, you had a lot of different tribes and religions that would stand up against the government and otherwise the coalition. But in Afghanistan, you're primarily dealing with the Taliban uh, that is just waiting for their moment to rise back up again the way they were 20 years ago. So Yeah, they were perfectly primed this yeah. time too. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> and we were talking about um, – the strategic way that they moved into mm-hmm. Kabul. And I, I, in August 10th, there was five different provinces that the Taliban had actually taken over and they beheaded multiple people. They came in with some pretty serious violence, but they were very easily able to take those provinces. And essentially the five provinces that they had taken as of the 10th of August were surrounding Kabul. So they were ready and simply just waiting for us to walk out. Right. I don't know. I, it, was, so, I know, it was frustrating. One of the things that you hear an awful lot is the munitions that have been left. What happened and where is this significantly different from Iraq with leaving munitions? As far as, yeah, I mean, shoot, just even looking at the news reports, you see that Humvees, AMRAPs, helicopters, you've got <laughs> Hueys on the ground, you've got fixed-wing aircraft, plus a whole assortment of small munitions as far as just even AR-15s, AR-10s, uh, plus boxes of ammo and that sort of stuff. So seeing all of the stuff that we have left over there that the Taliban is just coming in and sweeping up, mm-hmm. is that different than what took place when we withdrew from Iraq? Absolutely. I think with Iraq, we left 
I, I don't know, comparing, you know, apples to oranges as far as what we left behind for the Taliban versus uh, Iraq, but ISIS got their hands on a lot of the equipment and aircraft, uh, mostly vehicles and things that they were driving around in. Um, but the minimal amount that the ISIS got a hold of versus the Iraqi army and Iraqi uh, police, essentially, they had a lot of it, and they regained control of a lot of it, but some of it was seized by ISIS, where now you're talking about Afghanistan, there's, it was almost directly handed over to the Taliban because as soon as we left, they were on, they knew exactly where to go to get it. They knew yeah. exactly what there would be and where to find it. So they were there on top of it and taking it. So They were just ready. Yeah, fixed-wing aircraft, rotary aircraft. I mean, every, everything we gave them from a pistol all the way up to a fully equipped fixed-wing aircraft with every munition you need for either or. Uh, Just ready to fight over. back. Yeah, hand it over to the Taliban. Well, and I, I think it needs to be noted that they, um, people of Af Afghanistan, even the people that were trying to rebuild their country with us, they're, they're not resisting a whole lot right now, but it's because, like you said, you had Big Brother standing behind you, mm -hmm. and now you don't know if we're going to come back. Yeah. Are we going to come help? And so they're going to stand down because they don't want their women and children to be killed. They don't want to be assassinated themselves. In the same way the citizens are. They, they're relying on the National Army, and the National Army is relying on us. So we're not there. So the National Army is standing down. They're hiding. We have, you know, the, the citizens, the common citizen of Afghanistan is now in hiding as well just to – no. Maintain well, their life. I, I actually want to ask a question about that. The Taliban has said that this is going to be a, a peaceful shift of power <laughs> and that they're not going to do anything outside of th the Islamic law. Do you believe that? Absolutely not. <laughs> no. Why? Tell me more. Well, they, they are a traditional uh, force. I mean, a traditional group of people that believe in Sharia law. They believe in traditional Muslim and Islamic religion and beliefs, uh, lifestyles. So they, the history of Islam and the history of the Muslim religion is very uh, defined and very strict. So the fact that they say that, sure, but there's absolutely no way that they would cave to any of the westernized way of life. They're not going to let anyone in their, under their control, no one would be able to live any kind of westernized, as they would put it, uh, lifestyle. Well, you know, that, that begs the question. Of course, we go into these countries and we give them the ability to form a democracy and to have the right to vote, all of those things. But going back to what the interpreter had said to you, that they have to have somebody leading like that, I cannot imagine it would be easy to go from essentially dictatorship, all of those violent things, you do what we tell you to do, mm -hmm. and then suddenly have this democracy that they don't understand. It's not – we can tell them all we want to, but this I think this is a very good picture of exactly what we're not going to do. Yeah, and that, that interpreter said, he said, if you're wanting to bring democracy or this way of life has been here for ages, you would need to leave people here to sh – a show of force, essentially, to make sure that this democracy stays until it's weeded out of generations. It would take over 100 years to get that out generationally just to be able to – push forward in a democracy and get, and lose the old way of life. I think that's pretty sad because what we're seeing now is, is um, women who are in local government, who are educators or who are getting education mm -hmm. are being removed from that. This morning there was a report from um, 
I'm, I'm not sure who from the routers essentially that was saying that they are already removing women from positions of power and it's under very much threat of death. Yeah. It's not just, Hey, you can't be here. We're going to figure this out versus you can leave or we'll kill you. Yeah. Well, I know that they, um, <clears throat> one of the good news stories, at least as good as it can be, is there was a group of 10 girls in a robotics class and we did get confirmation this morning that they had been removed um, from Afghanistan. But the part that gets to me the most right now, <clears throat> the moment I say his name, I know people are going to turn off, but I ask you to still keep on listening and actually listen to the story, is Glenn Beck. So Glenn Beck has his Nazarene Fund, um, which has been working within Afghanistan for years. Um, and part of it was back in 2009 when, with Afghanistan, when they were starting to implement the new government, um, they required people to put their religious affiliation uh, on their ID card. So if you're a Muslim, you, it showed on your ID card that you're Muslim. If you're Christian, said the exact same thing. There are in between about 3,000 and 5,000 Christians that converted from Islam, which with Sharia law, that means that they, it's a death sentence. Correct. And so because of that death sentence, they, Glenn Beck has raised over $22 million in two days to be able to go over and start getting people out. And he, I guess um, today was the first plane that was able to take off with 300 of them on board. But looking at this, where these, these people are slated for death, and looking at the fact that they have about 20 countries that are willing to take these refugees, the United States is not one of them. The United through States, the Nazarene? Through the Nazarene Fund, the United States will not accept these refugees. And so on the ground right now, we have about 10,000 American citizens still. We have countless thousands of um, allied forces that are still on the ground. We have tens of thousands of Afghanis that have supported us through these last 20 years, and yet we're abandoning them, abandoning them right now. Yeah, we literally saw people falling from planes and to their death trying to escape because they're that desperate. Looking at all of that, as someone who went over, I know you went over to, uh, to Iraq, not Afghanistan, but I know that you <laughs> know an awful lot of vets. You founded the VFW in Berthet. Mm -hmm. You work um, with the American Legion in Berthet. You know these guys that have gone over there, that did fight, willing to put their lives on the line, lost, lost, <laughs> you know, their counterparts over in Afghanistan. How, how, how do you deal with this? How do you, with looking at all of this, how, I can't even put into words right now what I'm trying to say because I'm, I'm overwhelmed by just the anger yeah. that I would, that me as a civilian, what I'm feeling, I, I can't imagine somebody who spent a tour, spent a year, two years away from their family, mm -hmm. away from their friends, fighting for that country, and then seeing this happen. Yeah. And having brothers and sisters that didn't come back having family members that didn't come back. Um, you know, you still have your gold star families that have lost people over there. You have units that have gone over there and lost people, uh, come back with that, 
and then to see that essentially, you know, and they're eyes and I don't blame them. I'm sure there's so many people that are just thinking it was all for nothing because now the country is back to, if not worse, we'll see how far it goes, but it could potentially be worse than it was 20 years ago before we even went into Afghanistan. So to see that all the work that was put into it, all the uh, sacrifice, loss of life and everything else, blood, sweat and tears, literally that went into fighting over there and, and serving over there, was essentially for nothing. Um, and I, I think that's going to be a huge level of frustration with people that are already dealing with, you know, combat stress fatigue, post-traumatic stress, post-traumatic stress disorder, that are depression, anxiety, you know, this is only going to exacerbate what they're going through and those kinds of things I can only imagine. Um, as for me, I mean, it caused me anxiety just seeing, holy cow, we just completely... Did a 180. We just completely wasted everything we've done over there, and it's all it's all done. So, um, and I wasn't even there. So, yeah, it's it's insane. I can only imagine. With having the mindset of being a combat vet, being in country, was was this withdrawal necessary? And I guess the reason why I'm asking that is we are in how many countries around the world? Mm -hmm. We have how many? Army bases, Air Force bases, Marine bases, all over the world. Mm -hmm. We had 25 boots on the ground, 2,500 boots on the ground in Afghanistan when we were starting the withdrawal about a year ago. They were talking about finishing up the withdrawal within May. But again, there was an awful lot of parameters that were set that the Taliban had to abide by in order for us to actually leave. Mm -hmm. None of them were met. So the fact that at that point in time we weren't leaving – with how many countries we have bases in, was this even a necessary move? Yeah, that's that's a good question. I think it's it's crazy just to see peacekeeping forces and otherwise even countries like Slovenia, you know, Bosnia, where we have troops there that are not only a peacekeeping force but training their military still today. And that that war was way before you know uh, all of those things that we interacted with were way before Afghanistan or nine eleven happened. Um, the hard part is, you know, we've, the U.S. being a superpower, especially militarily, we're a superpower, having us and the world, countries like the United States of America, we are the, one of the world's 911 forces. I mean, as far as the U.N. is concerned, anything happens in the world, the U.S. will respond and at least, you know, intervene and, you know, run interference on whatever's going on, show a force or just a peacekeeping force to, to intervene. We've always done that. And public opinion on that sways many directions, but people have to realize if there's not countries like America that do that, what's going to happen? I mean, it's not just the fact that we let a, a country fall. A country like Afghanistan, which was, you know, the training ground for al-Qaeda, uh, which, hello, Bin Laden and, you know, Khalid uh, Sheed Mohammed, yeah, uh, all the, the KSM, all the terrorists that were associated with 9-11 were in Afghanistan. So seeing those training grounds, Iraq was a training ground for terrorism. Seeing those places that have that, why would you not keep some level of uh, show of force there just to make sure that those don't come up again? Because... There's a lot of country there that is open 
Afghanistan is the biggest uh, case scenario of that with the caves and everything else, as we saw with the, the manhunt for bin Laden. Uh, it's it's impossible to have enough really presence there, let alone zero presence. So pulling out of there, I think, just especially those countries, is not only putting the country at risk, um, which I know public opinion sways on that, but it's our own it's our own safety for our own country. We don't want another repeat of 9-11, which if we let it go back to the way it was, it's going to be another terrorist training ground, and we're going to have the same threat toward the U.S. from al-Qaeda again. What do you think that with this action and how we're leaving Afghanistan does to the fact that we are a 100% volunteer military? Oh, it's going to impact it huge, uh, especially with the people that came back um, that are still serving are not going to want to reenlist. They, what, what, what motivation do they have when everything they've done was completely undermined? Um, I think you're going to see a huge uh, withdrawal from the military, um, especially with reenlistment and new enlistments. A lot of people joined, joined, especially now. You know, we're within 20 years, about to break 20 years from 9/11. Um, that's when people joined because they wanted to take the fight to the terrorists. And those people that took the fight to the terrorists and now handed it back over to one of the terrorist groups are just going to be completely downtrodden. They're going to be completely uh, wasted and fatigued. There's no no drive, no motivation to do it. And you're not going to have people wanting to join because why join if you're going to fight for something that isn't uh, withstanding? It's not going to be sustained. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the, the, the war on terrorism – basically fell apart in the last couple of weeks. My worry, and please speak to this, my worry is that we are already seeing China, we're already seeing Russia in particular, uh, issue threats. So with China, they're issuing threats to Taiwan. Mm -hmm. They've already done... Um, they've already done maneuvers within the strait between mainland and Taiwan. Mm -hmm. Flat out told them, you see what America did with abandoning Afghanistan. Don't think that America is going to have your back. Right. You see the exact same thing happening within Russia right now with Ukraine, mm -hmm. essentially telling the Ukrainians the exact same thing of look at America. All America is going to do is abandon you. So uh, Putin's even gotten to the point of you need to become Russian Otherwise, we're going to shut off your banking. We're going to shut off your ability to have credit. We're going to shut off your ability to travel. Yeah. So seeing all of this already starting to play out, and again, we're 11 days into this, seeing all of this starting to play out and the fact that Congress made it so with selective service, now not only is it men 18 to 28, but now women mm -hmm. 18 to 28 have to be registered with Selective Service. Mm -hmm. So if we try to go in and protect Taiwan, protect Ukraine, any of these other countries that are now ripe to be under attack, mm -hmm. and we don't have the volunteers, and we have to issue a draft, what does that look like? Oh, yeah. I mean, we can look at any conflict that comes up, the public support, the protest that goes into any conflict is inevitable, but especially when we're already setting a precedence for how we react and how we maintain uh, presence in any conflict. 
um, it's it shows weakness, but I mean it shows weakness in the level of trustworthiness. Uh, who can trust us? Who can rely on us? And that lack of trust can be weaponized easily. Um, you're going to see a lot more of that, I think, because n people will see that, well, the U.S. can't step in because, the, you know, it's too much of a political mess for us to agree on something like that internally. Mm. So it's I think it's going to be huge. The, a draft would be catastrophic for our country. Uh, forcing people back into service, you know, haven't seen that since Vietnam. It's been an all-volunteer military since then. And having a drawdown to where we won't have enough service members to sustain a, any kind of conflict. I mean, we initially sent, what, 350, 400,000 troops over to Iraq in the initial start of the war. If we can't even pull numbers like that without drawing our complete military, we would have to initiate a draft, and I, that would be devastating, I think, to our country. Mm -hmm. so it's already in. Right, and, and you're not going to get people volunteering yeah. because they know – that what they're going to go do, whether or not they feel like it's the right thing to do, mm -hmm. is we're going to put another black eye on our country. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's. Well, and you bring up Vietnam. I guess the one, I guess one of the good things that I see as a difference between Vietnam and Afghanistan is the fact of when our soldiers are coming home, mm -hmm. they aren't being spit on. Yeah. They aren't being degraded because they went over there and fought. Right. <clears throat> people and <laughs> you know as a, a veteran i imagine that you have an awful lot of people especially being the the face of uh the vfw and the american legion mm -hmm. you have an awful lot of people that come up to you and just thank you for your service yeah and we were having this conversation the other night and I, the you get that awkward moment i think on both sides when somebody does that mm -hmm. The only time I don't get that is when I see a Vietnam vet that's wearing the hat mm -hmm. and I walk up to him and I just say, welcome home. Mm -hmm. And you see the emotional impact of that. Yeah. So at least we have that going for us oh, right absolutely. now with, with our Afghanistan, Afghanistan veterans mm -hmm. that they aren't being chastised when they come home. Yeah, exactly. So, but it, it, it's a, the entire situation is infuriating, especially with how many people we still have left in country mm -hmm. when when they started this. Yeah. You know, before you do anything else, get get people out of there. Yeah. Get people off the ground, get people out of there. And now you have one unit that was firing on the Taliban as they were killing people outside of the airport and they're being chastised. Yeah. They're being reprimanded for, for doing that, for saving people's lives. Right. While we have tens of thousands of people still on the ground there. Mm -hmm. I do want to interject very quickly. Yeah. Um, I, I want to put in the number for the veteran crisis line. Um, just if for anybody that is listening that really, you know, either has somebody they, they care about that they need to make sure that that number is, is available. I actually keep a card in my wallet for when I encounter people mm -hmm. because I care for a lot of people with mental health issues and things like that. Um, but the um, veteran crisis line is 1-800-273-8255 and you press one. And that's again, 1-800-273-8255 and you press one. Just I, I feel like it's important because I think anybody that already had trauma from that and now seeing all of this, I know we're seeing it nationwide, mm -hmm. and I know you're seeing it in person. 
Um, but I think it's important to, to put that out there that, you know, there, there are people that support and, and back what they did. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And Absolutely. I know last night you had an opportunity, you partnered with Stillwater Ranch. Mm-hmm. Um, how did that go? It went great. Uh, it was really hard to tell, you know, we, we put it out there for Afghanistan veterans and then we put it out there for post nine 11 veterans, anyone that wanted to come out and vent and decompress. Uh, I, I didn't know how many people, you know, I made a Facebook event, but you never really know from those yeah. how many people are going to show up. And I was impressed. It, it, we had uh, at least, I'd say, 15 people there that showed up. Um, and just everyone got a chance to, you know, joke around with each other and decompress a little bit, vent a little bit. But there wasn't much talk about what was going on. It was more or less just hanging out with other veterans and kind of at least being able to decompress and, and let some steam off from everything else without having to discuss it and get, get tempers flaring. Uh, everyone yeah. had a good time. That's great. And I know with Stillwater Ranch, one of the things that they do every other weekend or every other Saturday is cigars and s'mores. And their next one is coming up next Saturday on the 28th of August. Great group of, great group of guys mm-hmm. out there at cigars and s'mores. And so if you are, if you are a veteran that you are dealing with this and it's not, it's not a good situation for you. I ask that you reach out to people, whether you reach out to the VFW, whether you reach out to the American Legion. Another avenue that you can reach out and just talk with your fellow veterans is Stillwater Ranch. Mm-hmm. And with Cigars and S'mores, you know, the few times that I've been lucky enough to be out there with you guys, um, there's an awful lot more cigar smoking than s'more making <laughs> <laughs> that goes on out there. Hey man, no judgments. Yes. Exactly. Um, but it's a good time to sit around the campfire and be able to just talk with people that have been through, been through the crap. Yeah. Just the same as you have. And it's a lot of military banter, a lot of trash talk and love that smoking and joking, but <laughs> that's, it's, it's what it is. But there's a couple different groups out there too. Wendy, uh, has done the cigars and s'mores for a while. And then uh, female veterans were showing up and asking if there could be an all-female group. So she started that as well. I believe it's Wednesday nights is the all-female veteran group. So if you, one or the other, none of, I mean, the the cigars and s'mores isn't exclusive for anyone. It's all-inclusive. But if you want to do the female-only veteran night, uh, that's an option as well. Just You can get on her website or Facebook page in, in Stillwater Ranch and see what's coming up. Yeah. What other avenues are there for veterans that may be going, may not be in a good place right now mm-hmm. with watching the news and, and seeing everything that's going on social media? What are some other avenues that are out there and available that they can reach out to? Well, if people are registered in the VA, the VA is a great option. I mean, that's that's your best bet to get involved. And I hear a lot of back and forth about the VA and how they you know they do this or that. And I, I have to say it, I mean, as I'm biased because I've had great treatment, but I've done a lot of the legwork with the VA and getting, mm-hmm. getting my uh, stuff entered and getting myself in the system. Um, but I've been treated great by them. When I have an appointment I need to make, when I have something I need to do, I, I make it and I'm, I'm seen right away. I'm treated well. There's not the three hour, you know, it's not like calling the IRS or calling one of the other government agencies <laughs> where you have yeah. to, they they no. they burn you out on hold. It's it's great. Um, it's just it's what you make it. So you can't expect them to do all the legwork for you. You got to do some of your own, just like you do make an appointment with your own doctor. 
you got to find a primary care physician. You got to you got to do some of the legwork. But uh, the VA is a great option. There's a lot of nonprofits out there. Military One Source is another one. Um, that's for veterans or active duty, those service members currently serving, uh, guard, reserve, whatever. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of you can Google veteran resources. Uh, we've got a few of them on our birthedvfw.com website under veteran resources. Uh, check them out. Healing Warriors is another great one. Uh, qualified listeners. There's there's a lot of great local uh, entities here in northern Colorado too. So um, reach out. But if you just yep. need to get involved, you need to get around other veterans. We've got you know American Legion and the. The VFW are great organizations wherever you live to get involved with, and as well as the DAV, the Disabled American Veterans. That's another great group uh, that helps you out if you need to put in a claim for the VA. Any of those entities should and will uh, help you get your paperwork and get your claim submitted for anything that you need to do. But don't give up. Uh, just keep pushing. Reach out and make sure you're using the resources that are available. Don't just throw your hands up and and uh, quit. Just keep yeah. going. And one thing that I do want to mis- uh, mention real quick is with Stillwater Ranch, um, they are not just for veterans. Um, I know an awful lot of the organizations that you just men- mentioned are strictly for veterans. Mm-hmm. If you are a family member, especially a family member that you have a vet that has a severe case of PTSD and you need somewhere to go just to talk to people, Stillwater Ranch is available for veterans and their families. Mm -hmm. And so you can reach out to Wendy at Stillwater Ranch and be able to, and again, their website is stillwaterranch.org, stillwaterranch.org. But you can reach out there, get a tour of the ranch, just see what they are offering right now. Um, Cigars and S'mores is strictly for veterans, but Stillwater Ranch does. And spouses. And spouses. spouses. Yep. And, uh, but Stillwater Ranch does offer some different programs for family members um, if you're going through some stuff right now as well and just need somebody to talk to. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, and Wendy does. I mean, they've got equine therapy out there. You can bring your, uh, not necessarily your service dog. They're usually pretty well trained already, but they've got a, a canine PT program. You can bring your emotional support animal or just your dog, your companion out there and do their little PT course with your dog. It's pretty intense. My my dog, he's a pit. Okay. An American Bulldog mix. <laughs> yeah. Kind of bulky, kind of rigid. He can't do the little narrow bridges and stuff. He'll just look at it and look at me like, nope. <laughs> keep on moving. Yeah, I got a, I got a chubby girl. She's uh, yeah. not happening. He, he actually tried it and he fell off. It felt bad, but he's not that. He's like four and a half, so he bounced right back up. So I'm not doing that again. But, uh, so, yeah, and yeah. that's on Thursday nights mm-hmm. for the K9 PT. Great programs. Very cool. So awesome, Ryan. Thank you for for sitting in and being a guest. Um, with everything that we're seeing in the news, it's good to be able to just talk to somebody that has been through it and get get a different perspective mm-hmm. on what is going on with the that's outside of the twenty four hour news BS yeah. <laughs> and the social media BS, mm-hmm. and just be able to have a conversation. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you guys for having me. Yeah, we yeah. appreciate it very much. Yeah. So, and again, um, if you have any questions, definitely reach out um, reach out to Ryan with the VFW in Berthoud, as well as with the American Legion. He's a great resource, as well as reach out to Stillwater Ranch with Wendy. She does an amazing job out there. So, Well, let's, uh, 
Let's lighten the mood a little bit. <laughs> let's talk about. Yeah, let's take that down. <laughs> let's talk about beer of the week. Um, so that's the one. You know, there's off an awful lot of enjoyment out of doing a podcast, but the best enjoyment of, especially being a guest on the podcast, is we drink beer while we record. <laughs> so, and how we get away with that is beer of the week. <laughs> yeah, hey. So, and Jen, this one was yours. So I'll let you take it away. It is. So, um, I brought some Weldworks, Weldworks Brewing Company, um, out of Greeley, Colorado. They are on eighth street down in Greeley. Um, so the first one I grabbed was, the, it's called the Bam Bam Rubble Rubble Now with Tangerine Sour Wheat Ale. That's a mouthful. It is. Okay. So it's fruity. It's brewed with fruity rice cereal tangerine milk sugar vanilla and marshmallow i'm not sure what i expected out of this but my initial drink i hated it i hated it <laughs> but once i settled into it actually it was it was not the worst yeah. it, you kind of had to think about it in the sense of it's a cereal brewed beer so it was a little unusual but once i got into it i really liked it yeah. and so and ryan that was your first one as well what did what did you think of it it was and <laughs> Being a sour, I was a little <laughs> reluctant. I'm not a sour yeah. beer kind of person anyway, but that first sip was, yeah, it, it hit you right in the corners of the mouth. And then it was just, holy cow, because like, you know, I said, the fruity pebbles that are in there and everything else, yeah. <laughs> the ingredients, you you get the sour and then the fruity pebbles second, and then you get the undertones of everything else going on. It's like, there's just a lot of flavor in my mouth right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, process all that. It's but like, like a warhead first. Yeah. yeah. The first couple of sips was like, yeah. whoa, this is too much, but then. It grow it grows on you a little bit, but still, yeah, that's probably nothing I would do again. But it's it was yeah. Good. I don't know that I'm real into cereal beer, yeah, especially like fruity pebbles. Fruity but pebbles it sour. wasn't. What, what did you think, Alex? <laughs> well, why don't you give me your reaction to <laughs> my first sip of it? All right, so he takes his first sip, and I we're have Ryan and I are kind of doing this serious back and forth, and the look on his face. Yeah, both of us could see the look, the expression. <laughs> his head turned, and he did the, the sour face and everything. Oh, yeah. My initial take was, and I imagine the face looked like if you've just taken a, a handful of airheads, or not airheads, war, warheads, warheads. Yeah. Yeah. warheads. If you took like eight to ten warheads, you know, back in middle school, you warheads were a big thing. You do the warhead challenge, see how many you can shove in your mouth. Yeah. And when you make mention of the <laughs> razor blades in the side <laughs> of your cheeks, that that's exactly what it was, the, the initial the initial sip of it. Um, but to your point, it does mellow out yeah. and you do. I'm amazed. I, I, I will give it credit. I am amazed at how many different flavors they packed into one beer. Yeah. Not saying that was necessarily a good choice, but <laughs> I am amazed <laughs> at how many flavors they got packed into that beer. Yeah, it's like, what was it, the uh, Everlasting Gobstopper? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that has the uh, change of flavors. You just you keep feeling every little undertone coming through. It's like, oh, there's the marshmallow. Oh, yeah, there's some vanilla. Well, yeah. I, I could almost taste like, you know, the the cereal part of Lucky Charms oh, yeah. in there. You yeah. know, it's like, oh, yeah, oh, what? there it is. <laughs> yeah. yeah, weird. <laughs> it, you know what? It, I, I wouldn't say it's a bad beer, and if you're interested in that kind of brew or a sour mm. ale, you're going to like it because mm. it is that punch in the mouth. Yeah, a lot of flavor. Yeah, and it just keeps coming. <laughs> yeah. I will say that I appreciated the other one that you brought for us. I did, too. So yeah. the other one that you brought for us um, was the Phantasm Robo Boogie. <laughs> with. <laughs> So it says Phantasm Robo Boogie, and then on the side it says Robo Boogie Phantasm. So I'm not sure uh, what the actual title of the beer is, but it's a New Zealand style IPA. 
and you know how I'm a fan of IPAs. Uh, this one's a, a 7.8 ABV. This yeah. one was a refreshing IPA. It, you know, it had an awful lot of hops hops to it, but the floral notes was what got to me, is how just the bouquet that you were able to get off of it. Um, definitely one that I will try again, especially in a tulip glass, because I imagine that with just the bouquet that you were able to get out of a can, that that just is going to open up significantly more when you actually put it into a glass. Mm-hmm. What did you think of that one? I thought I agree with you. I'm, I'm an IPA fan myself, so that first sip was very refreshing, and it almost had that hazy IPA kind of a tone as well. But yeah, just it was subtle. I mean, it wasn't too hoppy. It wasn't too weedy. It was just it was right there where I like it. So it was a good IPA. Believe it or not, I actually liked that one a lot. It was it was kind of creamy, but then you know you get the hops, it, not a punch you in the face hops because you know I don't like hop forward beers at all. You know you keep on saying all of this, and you <laughs> keep on saying how much you are not an IPA fan. Yet we've had quite a few IPAs on this channel for beer of the week that you really enjoy. So I think yeah. you're lying to yourself more so than anybody else. Maybe I am. I don't know. But what <laughs> I would <laughs> maybe look, it's the only thing I have. Okay. Um, <laughs> what I will say, I, um, I actually really enjoyed this one. And like you said, that the sort of floral notes that you got in the back of it, just were really enjoyable. It had, and I will say this for Weldworks beer. There's a lot of levels to each of their beers that I've had that I, I really enjoyed. One of the one of the reasons I wanted to grab this one, though, we talked about on a couple podcasts ago, um, was the 10K IPA that they did. Um, it's called 10K 10K IPA House That Beer Built um, that they donated to the Habitat for Humanity House um, that they were building for the Lagawi family in Greeley, and so it was important yeah. for me to grab their beer so we could actually drink some on air. Um, so they're an incredible organization. I know some people that own part of it um, are family members of good friends of mine and so i really wanted to make sure we highlighted them but i was pretty impressed with that one mm-hmm. that yep. one was pretty good yeah the uh the first one that's uh, a very unique flavor <laughs> that i'm sure some people will absolutely love and adore um I was not one of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, if you want to try any of those or any of their other beers, it is uh, Weldworks Brewing Company. It's located at 508 8th Avenue. Um, go down and support their business because they're pretty cool what they're doing. Yeah, you know? that's awesome. So Beer of the Week, Weldworks. So, All right. Awesome. Well, again, Ryan, thank you so much for being here thank and being on the podcast. And again, a couple of the resources, you've got the VFWs, you've got the American Legions, you've got Stillwater Ranch. If you are a vet that you are struggling right now, please, please, please reach out to somebody. Reach out to somebody. It, you know, I know an awful lot of people, myself included, that I have no issue taking that phone call, being on the phone for an hour and talking to you and would much rather have that than have you make a decision that you're going to regret or families are going to regret down the road. So you can't take it back. Yep. So again, uh, just reach out. So, well, as always, I'm your native Alex Johnson and I'm your transplant, Jen Bryant. We'll see you next week. Take care.